This episode of Fallen Bads concerns the murder of Memphis police officer Sean Bolton. I happened to be the lieutenant over recruit training at the police academy at the time Sean Bolton began his training in 2011. Like all former military personnel, I'm sure it was all he could do to suppress a laugh or a yawn at my daily motivational speeches to his recruit class. As you might guess, the speeches were heavily seasoned with obscenities and like the training was supposed to help identify and eliminate recruits who wouldn't be able to hack it as a police officer. Military people, especially Marines, had no problem with that aspect of training. It was a cakewalk. I was around for only the first few weeks of recruit Bolton's training before I moved on to the organized crime unit. I never saw Sean again. It was August 1, 2015, and it's a few minutes past 9 p.m. Officer Bolton, who's assigned to car 364 Delta, he cleared an alarm call, put himself in service. He's working Mount Moriah Station Precinct, which is in the southeast part of Memphis. He steered his Mark Dodge Charger towards a residential area just east of Perkins Road and north of Cottonwood Road. Now on the seat beside him, he's got a little box of church's chicken. And like so many police officers do, he's eating his dinner as he's patrolling his assigned area. Now, whether he came off of Cottonwood or Julie Lynn, no one really knows. But he's now on Summerhurst Street. Now, that's a north-south running street. As a green and white street sign for Summer Lane Avenue flashes in to focus. Officer Bolton begins to make the turn on the Summer Lane now, Summer Lane's not a very long street. It's just a few blocks long, and it dead ends between Summerhurst on the east and Brandell on the west. Now, Summer Lane picks up again on the west side of both Brandell and Perkins, and from there it runs west off Perkins, and it's actually the main roadway into the Cottonwood Apartments. And then it dead ends within two short blocks inside that complex. As with so many streets in Memphis, Summer Lane's stopping, starting, ending, then restarting blocks away can be a headache for normal navigation with or without GPS. On this night, it will cost valuable time for responding officers. Now, as Officer Bolton makes his turn on the summer lane, he sees the headlights of a car. The car is parked facing in the wrong direction on the north side of the street in front of 4866. 
Bolton turns on his car-mounted spotlight, shines it into the interior of the car, and it's a burgundy Mercedes. And there's two male blacks inside. Now the driver stares up at the spotlight, and then he bolts out of the car, runs back north-northwest. Passenger, he's trying to get out of the car. Bolton bolts out of the squad car. He runs and he cuts the passenger off as he's trying to get out of the car. So they get to struggling. Now the passenger, whose name I will mention but once more, probably in this whole episode, his name is Tremaine Wilburn. Now, Tremaine is a convicted bank robber, and he did some time in federal prison, and the sentence was 10 years. And at this present time, he's on supervised release from federal custody. So as you might guess, he doesn't want to go back to federal prison. Of course, the one option would be don't commit any crimes, while you're on supervised federal release. In fact, how about just not commit any crimes? Now, this particular night when Officer Bolton pulled up, the suspect and then the male black driver that bailed out and ran away, they were weighing up some dope. They were getting ready to make a dope transaction with somebody who hadn't arrived yet. Now, what Officer Bolton was supposed to do, according to policy and procedure, is when you're getting ready to take some kind of proactive police action, you're supposed to advise the dispatcher of your location and briefly state what is occurring that uh, sounds good on paper, but police officers who like to work, sometimes that doesn't always happen. Sometimes things are happening so quick you, you, you don't have a chance to get on the radio and say anything. In this particular case, Officer Bolton did not get on the radio when he first saw what was happening. Failing to do so would have made no difference because he's going to be dead in less than 15 seconds. So Officer Bolton and the suspect, they're still tied up and they're scuffling around and struggling. Now the suspect, he's yelling out loud as he can about, hey, get your phone, tape this. He's repeating that constantly. He's not necessarily doing that because he expects anybody to get their phones out. They might or they might not. I think the reason he's saying is because he believes that police officers are so worried about complaints and video, I think he's counting on the fact that Officer Bolton's going to either back off 
or at least flinch long enough so he can draw his pistol that he's got underneath his shirt. Now, if you didn't know this, I'll just let you in on a secret. If you're on supervised release for committing a violent felony with the federal government, if you've got a pistol on you, you're in a lot of trouble. It's not only are they going to revoke your supervised release and make you serve the rest of your sentence, they're going to give you a Another charge or two, they're going to give you a charge for the pistol, and they're going to give you a charge for the bullets in the pistol. And you're doing it in the commission of a felony, so he's looking at probably 20 years or so, 25 years in the federal system, in addition to serving out the list of his sentence. Now... During this struggle, Officer Bolton, he's able to get his hand up to his mic. And all he's able to get out is part of his car number. Now, he might have said his entire car number, but no one that heard it could tell exactly what car number it was. But they could tell there was some kind of a struggle or a fight going on. They knew that the officer was in distress. Right, the suspect, he breaks away from Officer Bolton. And he begins running south-southeast away from the Mercedes. And Bolton's right behind him. In fact, Bolton may have still had hands on him. Any event, The action ends up in a driveway across the street at 4871 Summer Lane. Now by this time, the suspect's been able to pull his pistol out from underneath his shirt. He cranks off one round. Now, just from the direction of the bullet, Bolton's right side of his body must have been bladed towards the the suspect because the round hits Officer Bolton in the left part of the jaw. That's where it enters. It comes out of the jaw and then it strikes him down in the left shoulder. That's where it re-enters the body. It hits it in the area just about where the neck comes down and meets the shoulder. As soon as that happened, Officer Bolton starts to collapse on the, the driveway. And at the same time, both his hands go up to his face. So when he lands, he's laying face down, his hands covering his face. Now, if all the suspect wanted to do was escape, he had his chance now. The officer's down, he's incapacitated. So, he can walk away. 
Instead of doing that, he begins to slowly back down the street. And he fires nine more rounds from his pistol at the fallen officer. Now we know his path because the spent casings mark his path as he's backing down the street firing. So in my estimation, this is not about escape. This is about taking out his frustration on Officer Bolton. He's taking out his frustration on Officer Bolton for his own miserable life and his poor decisions. Now, those nine additional rounds that he fires as he's backing away, seven of them strike Officer Bolton. Then the suspect takes off and runs southbound from the scene between the houses. And while this was going on, the dispatcher, cars on Mount Rye frequency, even though they couldn't initially tell by the partial car number who exactly it was, because they they didn't know, was it sounded like 46, some thought it was said 64, 61. Now the officers, they recognized the voice and they knew that was Sean Bolton. They didn't know where he was at, but they began driving towards his assigned patrol area. They're starting to look for him. Now the dispatcher, she's able to look at the radio identifier that popped up because each time a radio keys up, a little number keys up in communications and the dispatcher can look up that number and see who it is transmitting. Well, she's able to establish that that radio transmission came from Officer Bolton's handy talkie. So she begins calling for Bolton repeatedly, and she sends a message out to the other precinct dispatchers, and they begin to call for car 364, Officer Sean Bolton. Now, officers from other precincts begin to switch one of the radios over to the Mount Moriah frequency. Because anytime you hear dispatchers on different frequencies calling a car number and an officer by full name, you know something's bad wrong. Now, some of those same officers that were switching over, they began to drive towards the Mount Moriah precinct, specifically towards 364's assigned ward area. Now, they probably don't even know what they were doing. They didn't notice. But I promise you that each time their dispatcher's calling off Officer Bolton's car number, each time they hear it come over the radio and there's no response, that their foots are pressing down just a little heavier on that accelerator and they're going just a little bit faster trying to get over there. Now, citizens living on Summer Lane, they either heard the shouting and the gunshots or they saw the shooting and they began to come outside on the street when they thought it was safe 
and a few of them got to looking for the officer. Now they find Officer Bolton, and he's still face down, hands still covering his face, and he's bleeding from the eight bullet wounds. Now four or five of them begin trying to call 911 on their cell phone. But each time they keep getting busy signals. So finally one of the citizens, who I'd call a pretty brave fella, he leans down beside Officer Bolton and he's telling him everything's going to be okay. And he tells him He's going to borrow his radio so he can call for help. So the citizen, he gets on the radio. So what officers have to do is, though, they have to check both both parts of Summer Lane. You've got the section of Summer Lane in the residential area, and then you've got the section of Summer Lane on the other side of Perkins in the apartment complex. Finally, Officer Bolton is located, and the officers begin CPR as best they can because they're having trouble, obviously, with the shattered jaw. They're trying to hold the jaw together. Because when you're doing CPR, you got to be able to seal the mouth when you're doing the breaths. Now, while on the scene, that somebody at the fire department mentioned to the, some of the officers that Officer Bolton, he's dead. But now they're going to keep on working on him and they're going to take him to the hospital. Now that is a, uh, that's pretty customary. Fire department, uh, almost always going to transport a fallen officer. So Officer Bolton is transported to Regional One Trauma Center. Some of you might know it as the MED. They gave it a fancier name, but it's still the top of the heap when it comes to trauma centers. They are very good down there. Anyways, they take Officer Bolton to the trauma center and he's pronounced dead. Now, while all this is going on, the suspect has been slipping, running, hiding, sneaking around. He's been working his way southbound. Uh, he's he's walking parallel with Clearbrook. And he's not walking just right out on the street because too many squad cars riding around. Anyways, he eventually reaches 3,000 block of Clearbrook, and he sees a fella getting out of his car at 3035 Clearbrook. 
So he put the gun to the back of the victim's neck and he tells him, I just shot a policeman and I'm taking your car. So then he jumps into the victim's car. It's a 2002 silver Honda Accord. And he drives away southbound towards Knight Arnold, which is just a block or two from that 100 block of Clearbrook. And the suspect disappears. So for the next 48 hours, they're looking for the suspect because by now they know who it is because they recovered uh, covered his fingerprints from inside the Mercedes and off of a cell phone that was recovered on the scene. What he does is two days later he turns himself into the U.S. Marshals. which may have been the only intelligent thing he's ever done in his life. So the marshals take him into custody. Now Wilburn has tried in state court and the jury finds him guilty. They find him guilty of first degree premeditated murder. Now, the other charges, carjacking, employing a firearm during the commission of a dangerous felony, and possession of a firearm while having a prior felony conviction involving the use or attempted use of violence, he had pled guilty to all those in a separate little hearing. So all the jury had to consider was first-degree premeditated murder. For whatever reason, he said it wasn't first-degree premeditated murder. His whole defense was predicated on he was just defending himself. Everybody should have a right to defend yourself when you're getting ready to make a drug transaction, even if it's the police. Well, anyways, the jury didn't buy that defense. They found him guilty. Now, he was sentenced to life with no parole, plus 38 years. Now, all that's going to be served consecutively, which is what you want to hear. Which means that the suspect will never get out of prison. And if he gets out of state prison, well, then the feds will get him. And he'll go back and do his time with the feds. So Officer Bolton was serving his country overseas with the Marines. Because he did do a tour overseas. So while he's overseas serving his country, Suspect was serving time in federal prison for a violent felony. Officer Bolton is surely in heaven now. And the suspect will languish in prison until he dies. After he dies, he has a rendezvous in a much warmer place.